0: Alright, well we're continuing with our new series in the book of Matthew, and this week we don't have a long list of names, so that's great, right? Uh, But he's continuing with this series, And, and you remember that last week we said Matthew, as he starts his gospel, he was seeking to answer the question, who is Jesus? And last week we saw that he was revealing who Jesus is through titles, right? He's the Christ, he's the son of David, he's the son of Abraham. Well, this week, he's going to continue to tell us about who Jesus is by telling us where Jesus came from. It's his origin story, if you would. And uh, this story is kind of hard to preach because it's hard to preach for the same reason a lot of the stories in the Gospels are hard to preach. It's because we're overly familiar with them, right? We know them all too well, and so we kind of just tune them out. But I really want us to try to hear and experience this story afresh today because if we will pay attention and if we'll listen, you'll find that this is actually speaking to a common experience that we have as Christ followers today because, as you know, uh, being a Christian, one of the best parts of being a Christian is that everything in life always goes exactly according to plan and perfectly all the time without fail, right? Right? No, of course not, right? Life rarely goes the way that you think it should go. I mean, can anyone in here honestly look at their lives this morning and raise your hand and go, yep, I thought my life would go exactly like this. Everything that's happened, I had planned that out from birth, and everything's been smooth sailing the whole time. Anyone ready to say that? No. Life is rarely that easy, and it's unexpected, and it's oftentimes very troubling when you're in these situations. We find ourselves in these situations in life where life gets turned upside down, right? Have you had an experience like that? Everything's going good, and then all of a sudden, life gets turned upside down. Something throws you for a loop, and you find yourself wondering, what am I I supposed to do now? How am I supposed to move forward? I mean, even this past year, I know of a family... Uh, Husband and a wife in their early 30s, they had a son about five years old. The wife got pregnant and they were expecting a baby girl. And then there were complications. And the baby came early and it was such a traumatic delivery that the wife died. Baby ended up having to stay in the NICU for months. And here was this man in his early 30s who now had a five-year-old and a baby girl in the NICU, not even sure she's going to make it, and he just lost his wife. And he was a Christian. And he was crying out in that moment saying, God, it's not supposed to be like this. This is not the way this is supposed to happen. I'm not supposed to be left alone with two kids and no wife. How can I be what my children need me to be when I'm mourning the loss of my wife? He was crying out to God saying, What am I supposed to do now? How am I even supposed to move forward? My question to you, church, have you been in a situation kind of like that in your life? A, A situation where you find yourself asking those same questions, where you're calling out to God saying, it's not supposed to be like this, God. I had my life mapped out. I had it planned out. And this is not how I had planned it. What am I supposed to do now? How am I supposed to even move forward in life? Well, I wonder if you realize that those are the exact same thoughts that Joseph is battling in this well-known passage that we think we know so well. Those are the exact things that he's battling because Joseph's life was going great. It was going exactly according to plan until it wasn't. He finds himself right in the middle of God's will. And let's just be honest, that's a pretty terrifying place to be sometimes, is it not? You find yourself right in the middle of God's will. It is sometimes very scary And what is it that turned Joseph's life upside down? It was the presence of a person he didn't expect. A baby that he knows he did not help produce. When Jesus became present in the life of Joseph, Joseph's life would never and could never be the same again. And the same is true for us today, church. When we find ourselves in those times when things are not going as we expected them to go. When we find ourselves in those times where we're calling out to God saying, it's not supposed to be like this. God, I didn't plan on this happening. What am I supposed to do now? How am I supposed to move forward? I want us to remember this passage. Because this is what God is saying to us today. The the presence of Jesus in our lives enables us to live faithful lives for God in an uncertain and troubling world the presence of god or of jesus in our lives enables us to live faithful lives for god in an uncertain and troubling world it's all about the presence of jesus right but then the question becomes okay pastor but but how tell, tell me that how exactly does jesus being present in our lives enable us to live those faithful lives in an uncertain world. Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I want to start by looking at verses 18 and 19. So if you have your Bibles there, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. You see, at this point, Joseph's life its going great. He's probably between 18 to 25 years old. Mary is probably between 12 to 15. It makes us uncomfortable, but it's the reality of the situation. Joseph had a good job. He was a carpenter. He had a, a good job. He could support himself. He could support his family. And the best part about Joseph's life, he had a betrothed Mary, the love of his life. And And I know we don't use that word betrothal too often these days, uh, so it's kind of hard to understand, but betrothal was the nearest step to marriage in these days. It came after engagement, betrothal lasted about one year, and during this time, the man and the woman did not live together, they did not sleep together, but it was so close to marriage that they were actually known As husband and wife, which is why, if you notice in our passage, Mary is referred to as the wife of Joseph, and Joseph is referred to as the husband of Mary. And so life is going great for Joseph. Everything's going according to plan, and then it isn't. In the book of Luke, we read that Mary goes away to visit her relative Elizabeth for a few months And Joseph, he's waiting on her to get back. He's anxious. He's ready to see her again. She's finally coming home. And he is as excited as he can be. His betrothed is coming home. Smiles on his face. And then he sees it. And it becomes very apparent that she is with child. And he knows that it's not his. In that instant, his whole life is turned upside down. He sees his betrothed. And she's pregnant. Now let me just ask you this, church. If you're Joseph in this situation, how are you feeling right now? Pretty good? No. If you're Joseph in this situation, you are absolutely devastated. You are crushed. Your whole life has been turned upside down. Because the thought that comes to your mind as you see her is, she's betrayed me. How could she do that? She went away for a few months. She must have had some sort of fling. She got pregnant. She comes back. She's betrayed me. What did I do to deserve this? I've only just loved her. I've given her everything. How could she do this to me? Don't don't take this for granted. Don't don't just overlook this. Joseph is battling a crisis in his life in this moment. And he's asking himself, what do I do now? How do I move forward in a life like this? And he has to make a decision. So I want you to notice what he says in verse 19 or, or what's said about him. It says that her husband Joseph, being a, a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. In that one verse, we learn a lot about Joseph's character, don't we? Uh, I read this and I see that Joseph is a better man than I am. <laughs> because in this culture, it, it was actually illegal. If, if you were in a betrothal period, if the woman committed adultery, if she had an affair, that it was uh, required by Jewish and Roman law, the man had to divorce her. He didn't have an option. Even if he loved her so much that he wanted to give her a second chance, he couldn't. It was illegal. He had to divorce her. And here's what would happen. The woman would be exposed for being the adulteress that she is. She would be publicly shamed and humiliated and disgraced. She would garner this reputation amongst all the people. It would be nearly impossible for her to get another husband. And in that culture, it means that she's not going to be provided for. So it's basically a death sentence. And if it was found to be especially atrocious, she could be put to death for her affair that she had. And so this is what's coming to the woman. And all the while, the man gets sympathy points. Oh, poor Joseph. How could she do this to him? He's such a good man. He provides for her. He loves the Lord. How could she do this? And so don't miss this, right? He has the opportunity to shame her, to give her what's coming to her for what she did or what he thinks that she did, all while getting sympathy points for himself. Now that's an opportunity not a lot of people would pass up if they'd been cheated on, right? <laughs> He's a better man than I am. I would have given her what she had coming. Not Joseph. He's a just and righteous man. And he decides that he's not going to take that route. He decides that that he's not going to publicly shame her. They say, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. But church, do not underestimate the extents to which a man will go when his pride is hurt. And there's a lot of hurt pride here. But Joseph, being humble and righteous and just, decides that he's not going to shame her. He recognizes that just because something is allowed doesn't make it right. Did you hear me on that, church? I think we need to to take a step back listen to that again. Just because something is allowed, just because something is legal, just because you have a quote-unquote right to do something does not make it right in the eyes of God. Amen? Joseph recognizes that. And so he says he's not going to put her to shame because after all this... He still loves her. But he has to do something. And so as he's considering what he's going to do, his life is about to change forever from hearing a message. Look at what is said in verses 20-25. through But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You see, church, it's easy to be familiar with this story, but I want you to understand, the essential message of the angel is this. Joseph, you're right. The baby is not yours. The baby is from God. And not only is the baby from God, don't miss this, church, the baby is God in the flesh. And this one message not only changed Joseph's life forever, folks, it changed the world forever, didn't it? The world has never been the same since Jesus Christ came into the world. And this child is said to be the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that the virgin would conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the angel saying that Joseph, the one true God, has come down and made Himself manifest in the person of Jesus. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Church, don't, don't overlook this or take this message for granted. Christmas is not about the presence you receive from friends and family. Christmas is about the presence of God come into our lives through the person of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. It's the presence of Jesus in our lives. And as remarkable and unbelievable as it might sound, Jesus truly was born of a virgin. That He might not be uh, inherit the stain of sin. That He might be like us in every way, yet without sin. That He might become man so that He could pay for man's sin, but remain fully God so that He could endure the wrath of God and rise again. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, if He was not fully God and fully man, none of our sins are forgiven. All of us stand condemned before God, and we have no hope in this world. If Jesus is not fully God, fully man, born of a virgin, then we of all people are most to be pitied. Our faith is in vain. But since He is fully God and fully man, Since He was born of a virgin, since He is God in the flesh, with His advent into this world, we have the advent of peace and hope and love and best of all, church, salvation. Jesus brings salvation. This is the message of Christmas. Jesus' presence changes everything. This is the message that the world rejects, is it not? It's the message they say is unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's just a fairy tale. It's a feel-good story, they say. And we learned something important here. If we are to benefit in any way at all from the coming of Christ, you must believe, right? If you don't believe, you are not going to benefit from the coming of Christ. We have to believe exactly what Joseph believed here. The message of the angel that Jesus is God in the flesh who came to save His people from their sins. And if we believe, church, we'll see that it changes everything. By God's grace, Joseph did believe the message that he hears from the angel. And when he believed that message that God is with him, that God is present with him, it changed everything in his life. He was finally able to go and live that faithful life that God required of him. And in fact, I want you to see a few things here. There are going to be two takeaways primarily about how the presence of Jesus in our lives actually enables us to live faithful lives for God. So here's the first thing I want you to notice. The presence of God enables us to lay aside our plans for God's greater purposes. The presence of God enables us to lay aside our plans for God's greater purposes. Because let me ask you a question. Do you think it was Joseph's plan for his life when he sat down and said, okay, here's how I want my life to go. I want to uh, be committed to this woman and then engaged and then betrothed and then I want her to get pregnant by someone else and then she try to tell me that it's from God and then I'm going to believe that and then we're going to go on about our happy lives. Do you think that was his plan for his life? No, absolutely not. This is not how he planned his life to go. This is not how he thought it was going to go. Because if you're Joseph... You've got no proof at this point, do you? I mean, in this culture, you've got absolutely no proof. You think she went away, she had a fling, she cheated on you, and now she's trying to use the God excuse that they use at North Greenville all the time when a girl breaks up with a guy. God told me to do it. I right? saw it happen to a lot of my friends. Joseph thinks that's what's happening here. She's just using the God excuse. And it's not until the angel appears and repeats the same message to him that he realizes she's telling the truth. That she is actually pregnant. That the baby is from God Himself. And don't miss this, church. This is the best thing that he realized. That God was up to something in the lives of Mary and Joseph far greater and far bigger than either one of them ever imagined. Right? He realizes when he hears this message, God's up to something big here. It goes much bigger than my plans that I had for myself. Because notice what the angel says. He says, Joseph, you're going to have a kid. Mary's going to give birth to a son. And you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, that name has a lot of meaning, right? Uh, names actually used to have meaning, <laughs> uh, People don't really put a lot of thought into what they name their kids today, though, unfortunately, right? Like uh, you just name your kid whatever sounds cool or whatever letters you think will look cool together. Or, or you name them something ridiculous like absody. We've seen that before, which is literally just A, B, C, D. We've seen it, trust me. So people name their kids all sorts of crazy things. They don't really have meaning anymore. But in this culture, names had meaning. They had a lot of meaning and there's a lot of meaning in Jesus' name. It's the Aramaic name Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. Now, don't miss how significant this is because when I have Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door, this is one of the first verses I take them to. Matthew one twenty one, because it shows the divinity of Jesus. Notice what's happening here. The angel says you're going to name the baby boy Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. Because why, church? Because He, who's the He referring to? The baby boy, He will save His people from His sins. Who saves? His name is Yahweh saves. Who's doing the saving? This baby boy. What's the conclusion? This baby is Yahweh. The one true God. He is God in the flesh. He shows that He came with a purpose. Isn't that amazing? The very announcement of Jesus' birth, that Mary's going to give birth to a son... We see that the Son's life has purpose. Call His name Jesus. For He will save His people from their sins. Don't miss this, church. Before Jesus was ever laid in a cradle, we see the picture of the cross. Or as one of my best friends likes to say, the cradle of cross lies in the shadow of the cross of Christ. Before He ever even takes His first breath, we see that this baby was destined to die. We see from the very moment of the announcement of His birth that His life was always destined for the cross. His life was on a trajectory that ended with the cross. Call His name Jesus. For He will save His people from their sins. It was His life's mission and purpose. And that's the whole point of Christmas. It's about Jesus coming into this world to be with a sinful people and save them from their sins. So don't miss this. This is what the angel is saying. The angel is saying to Joseph, this is much bigger than you and your plans for your life. Joseph, this is much bigger than you. I know you had all sorts of plans for your life. I know that you thought it was going to go a certain way. But the angel is saying, God has called you to something greater. God's called you to be part of something greater. God has called you to be the earthly father of the Messiah. God in the flesh who will save his people from his sins. And when Joseph hears that message, that Jesus is Emmanuel, that God is with him, and that God is doing something big, Joseph willingly lays aside all of the plans he had for his life in order to embrace God's greater purposes. You see, folks, he's choosing to believe God. He's choosing to adopt Jesus as his own firstborn son. And by being the one to name Jesus in this culture, Joseph is officially declaring Jesus to be his own son. He's passing along all the rights of the firstborn son to Jesus. He's transferring and bestowing on Jesus the lineage of David so that Jesus can be called the Son of David. He is holding nothing back for another son later. He's holding nothing back for another child. He is all in on Jesus. He says, God, I'm laying it all aside. All my plans. Everything I thought my life was going to be. All the things I thought I was going to do. Anything you might provide for me after Jesus. I'm throwing it all the way. And I'm putting everything I have on Jesus. I'm all in. He willingly sets aside his plans. For God's greater purposes. Now listen, I know that that's an easy enough message to understand. Anybody confused by that? No, didn't think so. Okay? It's an easy enough message to understand and appreciate. Right? When it's Joseph doing it. (laughs) When it's Joseph being the one to lay aside his plans for his life, to embrace God's greater purposes, we commend him. We applaud him. We admire him. we say, good for you, Joseph, look at you. But it's a different story entirely when I remind you that Jesus issues the same call for us today as His followers, isn't it? Oh, now it's a different story. It's one thing when it's Joseph, but when it's me. And that's the call that God has on my life. Well, that's different. Because I want you to notice, this is exactly what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9. Jesus plainly said, if anyone would come after Me, let him first do what? Deny himself. Lay down your life, your plans, your ambitions, everything. You've got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits himself? Or loses his soul, as Matthew would say. So listen, church, here's what I want you to understand. You can give yourself to the rat race of life. You you can do that, right? You can invest your time, your money, your energy, in your personal ambitions or in your career. You can live for your own personal pleasure. You can give yourself to hedonism. You can lay out all the plans that you have for your life, and you can pursue those plans. But listen to me, you will do that, and then you're going to die, and you're going to be forgotten within a few generations. It's hard to hear, but it's true, isn't it? Can I just tell you this morning that God wants more for you than a life like that? Can, can I just remind you this morning that God has more for you than a life like that? Let me ask you something, church. Are you willing to believe this morning that God actually has better and bigger plans for you in your life than you even have for yourself? Are you willing to believe that this morning? You see, He calls people to embrace a life that's going to have an eternal Impact, not a temporary one, an eternal impact. He calls people to help build a kingdom that will last forever. He calls people to participate in sharing a message that will literally save souls from hell, from the fires of hell. He says, I'm calling you to come and be fishers of men, to go out and take the gospel to those who are dying in their sins. So if you live for yourself and your plans, you have a very small chance of finding happiness in this life. If you live for yourself and your plans, you have a very small chance of finding purpose in this life. If you live for yourself and your plans, you have an infinitesimally small chance of making a lasting impact on this world. But let me just tell you something this morning, church. If you will lay aside your personal plans for your life, and embrace the purposes of God for your life, you have a 100% chance of dying and standing before God one day and hearing Him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now I just wonder, what would your life look like? And what would this church look like? And what would our world look like if we actually lived to hear those words rather than lived for the applause and approval of man, what kind of difference do you think it would make if today you said, God, I'm laying aside my own personal plans. I'm embracing your purposes for my life. I want to hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. How different do you think your life would be? This is what God calls us to do, and it's not easy. But let me tell you something, you can do it the same way Joseph could because God is with you. Jesus is Emmanuel. And his presence in your life will enable you to lay aside those plans and embrace God's greater purposes. Amen? Amen. All right, there's one final thing I want you to take away from this passage. I think it's an important point. So listen here it's the comfort of God's presence brings us the courage we need to be able to live faithful lives to God. The comfort of God's presence brings us the courage we need to be able to live faithful lives to God. Because don't don't forget this, church, that Joseph was hurting and broken before he heard the message from the angel, wasn't he? He was in that moment we've all been in. Where life has been turned upside down. Nothing is going according to plan anymore. And we're going, God, what am I supposed to do now? How am I supposed to continue on? He was hurting and broken in that moment. And what he needed was comfort. And the comfort he received was the message that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And once he received that comfort, Joseph is going to wake up from a dream. And he's going to have to make a lot of practical decisions, isn't he, church? You know, it's all nice to get caught up in a moment of God. And you can feel like you're in a whole separate world. Have you had one of those before where you really felt like you had an encounter with God and you're in a whole other world? And then you have this emotional whiplash where you now have to go back into the real world? You ever had that before? That's what Joseph is about to experience. And he is going to have to make some practical decisions because when he wakes from this dream... He's going to decide to be obedient to God, which means he's going to take Mary as his wife. And the world and the culture they're living in is not going to like that, is it? They're not going to like it at all because keep in mind here, it's not going to go over with. There are going to be rumors There are going to be stares. There's going to be gossip. There's going to be murmurings. Friends and family could potentially get involved and try to get Joseph to change his mind. Mary is going to be subject to shame and gossip. And for the rest of Jesus' life, he is going to be regarded as a bastard and it is going to be used against him and people are going to mock him for it. And so in this moment, don't miss this. I know we're familiar, but please listen to me here. Joseph is weighing his options. He's having to make a decision. Is obedience to God and this baby, Jesus, worth it all? Is it worth the shame? Is it worth the gossip? Is it worth the murmurings? Is it it worth everything that the culture is going to throw at us? Is Jesus worth all of that? He's counting the cost. My question to you this morning is the same. Is Jesus worth it to you, church? Are you willing to bear the humiliation and the isolation that will come from devoting your life to Christ. Because can I just tell you something? If you go out into the world, to your workplace, to your neighborhood, and you tell them that you have made a great decision, you are a follower of Jesus. And the reason you're a follower of Jesus is because you believe that He is God in the flesh who came down, was born of a virgin who literally lived a perfect life without even sinning one time in order to earn righteousness for us. He died on Calvary's cross in order to pay for the sins of mankind. He literally rose from the dead and ascended back to the right hand of the majesty on high. They're going to look at you like you're a crazy person. Right? They're going to think that you've lost your marbles. You're off your rocker. They're going to think you're as crazy as Mary when she went around saying that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. They're going to think you're believing a fairy tale. And they will mock you. And they will ridicule you because of that. When you don't do the things that your friends and family and coworkers do, when you don't joke how they joke, when you don't spend your money how they spend their money, when you don't prioritize the things they prioritize or participate in the things they participate in, and you tell them the reason that you don't do it is because you're a follower of Jesus, they are going to isolate you. You could lose friends, you could lose family members, you could be isolated by coworkers, you could be ridiculed by the world, you could be humiliated by the culture, all for choosing to welcome Jesus into your life today and follow him. My question is, is he worth it to you, church? Are you prepared to face and bear all of that for the sake of Christ? Because that's what Jesus says we should we should expect. If they called the master of the house beelzebub, how much more should we expect? And maybe you hear that and you go, "Well, pastor, look, I want to go to heaven, but none of that sounds fun." I get it. The Bible never says, "Hey, guess what? Follow Jesus. It's going to be fun, (laughs) right?" It doesn't say that. You might be saying, "Pastor, I, I want to do that, but but I don't know how I can. How on earth?" Am I going to be able to face that? How on earth am I going to be able to endure that and to bear that and face that humiliation and rejection? I would tell you it's the same way Joseph figured out he could. It's by Jesus being present in your life. Because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, we can face that, can't we church? All it takes is Jesus being with us and we get that comfort and that courage that we need in order to face this world. I remember, uh, it was probably about a month ago now, uh, Judah was calling out at night, didn't want to sleep by himself, and uh, wanted Daddy to lay down on the floor and sleep next to him all night. Not going to happen. Second Opinions 3.18 says, the dad doesn't have to do that. So, (laughs) but... uh, I don't remember what it was that he didn't want to go to sleep by himself. He was afraid of something. He was literally just saying he was afraid, wouldn't tell me what it was, but he didn't want to sleep by himself, wanted me to sleep there on the floor all night. And I told him, No, it's not going to happen. But I said, Listen, buddy, here's what I want you to understand. There's nothing in your room at all that's going to get you. And there is nothing in this house that's going to get you. I said, I'm downstairs and I can promise you something. There is no one coming in this house who's going to be able to get through me and get to you, Mommy, and Ezra. As long as Daddy is in this house, you don't have to worry about a thing. You can sleep calmly tonight because I will protect you. I would never let anything happen to you. He went to sleep. Slept all night. Went to get him up the next day. We're walking downstairs. And he goes, Daddy, I slept all night. And I'm like, I know. Good job, bud. That's awesome. And he said, "No I wasn't afraid. And I'm like, all right, that's good. He said, you kept me safe. I was thinking, well... I really just was awake with Ezra all night. But yeah, you know, watching out diligently. But, but that's what he thought. That's what he took away was I slept calmly and I was safe because you were here and you kept me safe. I gave him the comfort he needed to be able to go to sleep and the courage he needed to do it by himself. And let me tell you, in an even greater way, when you have Jesus in your life, you have the comfort that you need to know that you're not alone no matter what you face And you have the courage that you need to be able to face the opposition that this world is going to throw at you. Amen? Amen. If Jesus is with you, you've got the comfort and the courage that you need. We need to remember today that Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And that changes everything. That changes everything. The, The Gospel of Matthew, I love this. Listen to me. It literally begins with with this angel declaring His name is going to be Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. You know how the Gospel of Matthew ends? It literally ends with Jesus saying these words, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you think the Holy Spirit wants us to get a message here? If that's how He bookended the Gospel of Matthew, what does He want us to know, church? He wants us to know that Jesus is with us. We don't have to be afraid. We don't face anything alone in this life. Jesus is Emmanuel. And because He is with us always, we can set aside our plans for our lives and embrace His greater purposes, right? Because He is with us always, we can find the comfort and the courage that we need to be able to face the opposition that the world and the culture is going to throw at us. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. You see, what we need as a church and what we need today in our lives and what this world desperately needs right now in this Christmas season is not presents from a store. It's the presence from above. We need to remember that Jesus is the presence of God among us. And we need Him every day. Amen? Let's pray.